Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope your week is treating you well. Today, I had an interesting observation. I started maybe a couple months ago asking myself every morning, how do you feel today? How do you feel this morning? And I really started that practice from a place of trying to gather data or trying to get in tune with my feelings and particularly my negative emotions. And what actually has happened is more so I've started to notice a pattern and it's not, it's like I tend to wake up kind of with a general similar disposition and I almost every single day write that I'm feeling like indecisive or uncertain and that's coming from a place of like FOMO, like trying to find the best way to have a day and almost every morning, I and it's so fascinating because this is something that has been so on autopilot for me that I almost didn't notice it. But kind of doing this little practice, I've picked up on, okay, every day I'm like obsessing over how am I going to have the best possible day. And until I can really, I try to intellectually like pick it out in my brain so they can guarantee I'm having the best day possible every single morning, which is an interesting use of energy. And I'm really glad that I did that practice because it's like opening my eyes to some data about myself that I don't know that I would have had otherwise. So let me know if you try it because I'm, I'm super interested in if we all wake up with a similar disposition or a similar like thing on our mind most days and what that might look like by our Enneagram type. But that's just what's like on my head this morning. But For today's episode, we are talking about some interesting elements of the Enneagram, which are these like different groupings of three. So today we're going to specifically talk about five of those groups of three, and this can actually be so helpful for several reasons. The first is it can deepen your growth journey, giving you much more like actionable steps into how to grow. But the second is it can deepen your understanding of yourself and the Enneagram in general, just you know, you've probably heard me refer to these certain groupings without having the full context of them. You might have heard me say like, oh, this type is a withdrawing type or a compliant type. And now we'll have a little bit more context for what that means. And the third is that it can really help you to understand why certain types that may seem like opposites may actually sometimes look like one another because of the, they may share a common triad. So the groups of three that we are discussing today are the Hornivian Triad, the Harmonic Groups, the Three Centers of Intelligence, the Three Subtypes, and the Harmony Groups or Object Relations Triad, which is not to be confused with the Harmonic Groups. Harmony Triads and Harmonic Groups are different. So today we'll do a brief overview of each of these groupings, but please don't hesitate to call or text into the podcast phone line at 828-338-9127 should you have a desire for me to dive deeper into one specifically. All right, 
Group one is the Hornivian triad, which is also known as stances. So the Hornivian triad is a way of grouping the Enneagram types based off of their social style. So the first is the compliant group types one, two, and six. These types tend to be people pleasers who try to earn love and acceptance by being helpful and compliant. They tend to have a present stance, meaning they are focused on what's happening in the present moment. And when in conflict, they tend to move toward people to make repair. Then we have the withdrawn group, which are types four, five, and nine. And these types tend to be more introverted and withdrawn. They may feel like they don't belong. They tend to focus their attention on things that have happened in the past. And when in conflict, they withdraw and seek to recover. And then we have the assertive group, types three, seven, and eight. These types tend to be more outgoing and assertive. They may be seen as leaders. They're often focused on the future, what needs to be done down the road. And in conflict, they push against, so they kind of defend their stance. Then our second grouping here is the harmonic group. So these, this is a way of grouping the nine types based on how they cope with stress and conflict. So the three groups here are the positive outlook group, types two, seven, and nine. These types tend to be optimistic. They avoid conflict. They may try to avoid negative emotions or situations, and they may minimize the problem. So a great example of this is in my initial Enneagram training, we did a simulation of like, what if there was an E. coli breakout in this training? And my positive outlook response was like, well, let's go get margaritas. Like not really associating the risk, not really assessing like what I should be doing or if I should be taking responsibility. I didn't feel angry or slighted. I more so felt like, well, let's make the best out of a bad situation. And then we get to the competency group. So we have types one, three, and five. These types tend to be focused on control and competence. So they may try to solve problems logically and effectively. They may be critical of themselves and others. So this is the group that when they're in this potential simulation, they may take the stance of, okay, what do we need to do to solve this problem? What do we need to do to handle this? And then we have the reactive group, types four, six, and eight. And these types tend to be reactive and defensive. They may be easily triggered by stress and they may respond with anger, anxiety, or aggression. So this type in our simulation, they took the stance of, woe is me, I can't believe this happened, or potentially like, how dare they let this happen? Or now I feel like I, because of your failure, I have to take over and make sure things are fixed here. Then we get into group three, which is the three centers of intelligence. So the three centers of intelligence are the gut, the heart, and the head. Each center is associated with a different way of processing information, making decisions, and what feeling tends to be most overt for them. So we have the gut center, which is associated with instinct and intuition, as well as like the body being in your body. People who lead with their gut are often very decisive, action-oriented. They may make decisions based on like a gut feeling or intuition. Um, this type is also most associated with the feelings of anger. Whether that's overt anger, like the type eight, repressed anger, like the type one, or numbed anger or hidden anger, like the type nine, or even we associate nine with passive aggressive anger. Then we have the heart center, which is associated with, you know, how do you feel? Um, you know, people who lead with their heart are often very in tune with their own and others' feelings. They may make decisions based on what they feel is right or wrong rather than what is logical or practical. Now, this group is most associated with feelings of shame, um, and they tend to be focused on how other people perceive them. 
Then we have the head center, which is associated with logic and reason. People who lead with their head are often very analytical and problem-solving oriented. They may make decisions based on what they think is the best course of action rather than what they feel or what is instinctual. This grouping is most associated with their head, which is also most associated with anxiety and kind of balancing this undercurrent of, do I have the information I need? Now, each of these types is gonna look different in the way that that is done. Fives, you know, they fear being being incompetent or being incapable, so they focus on like gathering information. Sixes fear being unsupported, so they gather information from authority figures or their support network. Sevens, they're, they are gathering information in tidbits, you know, maybe not going deep into one area, but they're gathering lots of information from lots of different areas, often becoming like Renaissance people who have dabbled in lots and lots of different things over the course of their life. Now, the same thing with their relationship to anxiety. Five seek to quell anxiety through being informed. Six is through being supported and seven's through running the heck away from it. <laughs> and it's important to note that everyone uses all three of these centers of intelligence and the goal is really to balance them out, to have a you know well-rounded experience with your head, heart, and gut but we do tend to favor one center over the others. And some school of thought says that you can have a dominant type in a center that's different than your dominant center. Uh, that's a little more complicated than I really experience the Enneagram, but that is definitely a full-on way that people do think about the Enneagram. All right, and then our next group, group four, is the three subtypes. So the three subtypes in the Enneagram are self-preservation, social, and one-to-one. Each Enneagram type has all three subtypes and they all three subtypes look different based off of the Enneagram type, but there are some commonalities by subtypes. So some self-preservation types are motivated by a need for security and stability. They're often very practical, down to earth. They may be very protective of themselves and their loved ones. We have the social subtypes, which are motivated by a need for connection and belonging. They're often very outgoing and sociable, and they may be very concerned with their image and their reputation. Then we have one-to-one -one subtypes, which are motivated by a need for intimacy and connection. They are often very sensitive and introspective, and they may be very attuned to the needs of others. Now, it's important to note that everyone has all three subtypes, but one subtype is typically dominant, one is secondary, and one is typically repressed. All right, then we move into group five, which is the harmony triad or the object relations triad. Now, I first heard of this through the work of Dr. David Daniels, but we're gonna reference some ways that other people have grouped these types together. So we have types three, six, and nine, which um, can be called the pragmatists. Um, they relate by how well they blend in, align with and thrive alongside others in the world. Don Riso and Russ Hudson call these types the attachment triad because they tell us how we connect on a down-to-earth, people-to-people basis. But then we have Dr. Bill Schaefer who names these the Earth Triad, as these types govern our society's basic existence by forming hands-on attachments to the world. So they're kind of like our anchors in the world. And then we have types two, five, and eight, which uh, we call the relationalists, as they're kind of core figures for three great ways to, to form and move through relationships. So type two moves toward others to meet needs and ensure care. Type fives move away from others to deliver reason and perspective. And type eight gets declarative with others speaking out and asserting what is required in that moment. But Don Riso and Russ Hudson name these types the rejection triad because they stave off rejection through providing necessary 
and important functions like becoming like powerful in their way. Like twos, I'm going to be the most helpful. Fives, I'm going to be the most informed. Eights, I'm going to be the strongest in the room. Then we have types one, four, and seven, which can be called the idealists or even the utopians, which I like. Um, this type tends to hold a vision of the way the world could be in order for life to thrive. Um, now, that can be really frustrating. Sometimes this group is called the frustration group um, by Don Riso Don and Russ Hudson. They tend to call it the frustration triad because it can tell us how life fails to reach the views that we have, right? So there's kind of this consistent sense of frustration because they have this idealized way that the world should be or people should be or they should be and life rarely lives up to that expectation, right? And that can be really frustrating. Now, Dr. Bill Schaefer names these the heaven triad because they speak to the possibilities of what ultimate integration of personality and spirit and could look like. Like, okay, this type can see possibility. They can see what heaven on earth could be like. So y'all, those are our five groups of three. As a reminder, if you have specific questions about today's episode that you would like answered or would like me to go deeper into what growth could look like for each of these groupings, please don't hesitate to reach out at 828-338-9127 and we can make an episode on that happen. And as always, it's such a pleasure to create this content for you and I will see you Friday for the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.